Brilliant. If you've got a Bible, can you turn with me to Colossians uh, for our final sermon in that little epistle? We've spent quite a bit of time, a couple of months, reading through Colossians together, and um, we bring it to a close today. The theme has been uh, a growing church, um, Paul writing to this uh, group of people in Colossae um, about what it means to be the church of Jesus. And uh, we're going to read from verse 2 of chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 2, and uh, through to the end. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who's one of you. They'll tell you everything that's happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him, and if he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who's called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they've proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who's one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends his greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those at Laodicea in high... um... (laughs) That other place. (laughs) Hierapolis. I just lost confidence. Hierapolis. It's a a place very few people went because they could never ask for directions. (laughs) Hierapolis. That's mucked it all up, hasn't it? Anyway, Epaphras, he's working hard for them there. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it's read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you've received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. I wonder, just as I begin speaking, can you just take, um, actually from this end, can you just take one and pass them all along, right along the lines, all the way through the church, and I'll explain about that later. Just take one and pass them on, that'd be great. As a church grows, and as any church grows, there's a danger that relationships actually become Uh, more distant. It's just more difficult to know everybody. It's difficult to keep a tab on who's who and who belongs to who. And um, we've got to work hard as the church grows that our relationships don't suffer. Because at the end of the day, nobody wants. It's interesting when Hannah was speaking before, this idea of coming and finding a church that she felt that she could belong to. Maybe after a long time of feeling, I'm not sure 
I'm not sure there are places like that. And although I made a joke, I actually do mean that I want us to be a place where people like Hannah and Dan, who haven't been to church for years and years, can feel this is okay. I want us to be that sort of place. Not for the sake of the church, but for two reasons. Firstly, because the church, capital C, not just our church, but church needs people like Dan and Hannah. People who love Jesus, gifted by the Spirit, and if they're not part of a fellowship, then we, as the church, lose out. We're the poorer when people dislocate from church. And secondly, I want us to be a church for people who don't feel the church is okay, because it's difficult, actually. We help one another keep on practicing the faith. People who don't go to church don't stop believing, but practicing is much more difficult. That's the truth. You don't stop believing, it's just more difficult to practice. And we help one another practice the faith. We keep it alive for one another. I fully get why people don't go to church. I fully get it, and um, not least, because one of the difficulties of church is the very thing that we want people to have. The difficulties of church are relationships. That's the truth. The difficulty of making them, sustaining them, persevering with them, keeping going with them over the long haul. What I want to spend just a few minutes thinking about this morning is this idea of friendship within church. We want to be a church of friends. We want to be a place where friendships are made and sustained. And I don't know quite um, whether this always holds, but I think there's a difference in Christian friendship and I th- certainly think there's a difference in Christian friendship in church context. In general, in the general sort of run of life, the deal about becoming a friend is, do I like you? That's actually pretty much how you make friends, isn't it? Do I like you? Is the, do we have enough in common? Do you seem to be the sort of person that I would feel comfortable with? Do I like you? And we've l- got loads of acquaintances, yeah? But... A few friends, and that's right, because you can, you can only have so many. You get friendship build-up, and you know, can you make a friend, you've got to lose a friend. But there's only so many friends like that who are like me. You know? I'm looking for people you know, like me, middle-aged men, interested in local history, like James Taylor's and other melancholy music, <laughs> who's fairly active but not too active who's a bit of a nerd, but only in his own eyes, and nobody else needs to call me that. Do you know what <laughs> Who's kind of interested in first half of the 20th century Pentecostal history, but only within England. Not too wide. <laughs> Is there anybody like that? <laughs> <laughs> and to be honest, if you are there, we'll probably fall out then, because we know too much about the same thing. I think Christian friendship is different. 
I think Christian friendship is based upon the, on the first question being, will I know you, can I know you, and will you allow me to know you? And do you want to know me? Do you want to know me? Not do I like you, but do I know you? There's a quote by Eugene Peterson, a particular hero of mine, who says this. And he's defining what a friend is, really. And he says, someone enters our life who isn't looking for someone to use, is leisurely enough to find out what's really going on in us, is secure enough not to exploit our weakness or attack our strengths, recognizes our inner life and understands the difficulty of living out our inner convictions, confirms what's deepest within us, a friend. It's probably just worth going through that again. This is what a Christian friend is. This is what someone who comes alongside you is, someone who enters our life, who isn't looking for someone to use, someone who's leisurely enough to find out what's really going on in us, And is secure enough not to exploit our weakness or attack our strength. Who recognizes our inner life and understands the difficulty of living out our inner convictions. Who confirms what's deepest within us. This is a friend. This is what we offer one another, potentially. If we allow that to happen. This is the prize. That we walk through life together. Through many. um, What was the verse we sang? Through many dangers, toils and snares. I have already come. But grace has saved us far. I just hum. I never sing the words. I just hum. But that's not. Please understand, that journey is not a, I'm doing it on my own journey. At its best, that's a journey you take with folks who are committed to you. Because logically enough, none of you are strong enough to take that journey on your own. You need someone to walk with you. You need people to walk with you. And for sometimes, for some of us, that's the most threatening thing in the world. We don't actually want to walk on our own, but we struggle to let others walk with us because if others walk with us, they might know us. And I might not want to be on my own, but at least I don't have to then own up to who I am. It's interesting when you think about the Apostle Paul, I don't know what image you have of him, but... Paul, the apostle, this fantastic Christian, this fantastic person who planted churches, who wrote churches, around whom many sort of like the the Christian traditions flow out of his thinking and his reflections and his working out what on earth was Jesus doing. Paul wasn't this strong individualist, this strong lone ranger type. He had people around him all the time. And we read about 10 of them. In this little letter, 10 people who were around Paul. Two of them were going to go and visit 
um, Colossae, and eight of them, part of his circle, sent their greetings. But just very quickly, look at the makeup of these ten. These people, on the whole, with the exception of one or two, crop up in other places in the New Testament. And I'm going to put something on Beyond Sunday. If you're interested to see where else they crop up, it'll be on there this afternoon. But just look at these people as they're named. Firstly, three of them are Jewish believers in Jesus. Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus called Justice. You can understand why Jesus might have changed his name to Justice in the early church. It just would have been too confusing for everybody. So he uses a different name. These three, Epaphras, Luke, and Demas, are Greeks from a different background. And the Jew and the Greek didn't naturally see eye to eye on life together. You've got a slave, Onesimus. You've got a doctor in Luke. And you've got Nympha, who's a householder. And interestingly enough, quite likely one of the leaders of the church in Colossae. The church in whose house they met. And that maybe assumes that she may well have been a householder. And then finally, this guy at the bottom, Archippus, he turns up in the book of Philemon, related to Philemon. And uh, we suspect that he may well have been Philemon's son. Philemon being the slain of slave owner of this person. So what have you got? You've got male and female in the circle. You've got different ethnicities. You've got different personalities. You've got different strengths. But you have a united aim. What does it mean to be a church of friends? Firstly, it means that you are going to come to one another with very different backgrounds. You're going to come together as people who have a very different way of seeing life. You're going to come together as people who have had different experiences. You've been brought up differently. You've got a different expectation of life. You've got a different expectation of how you serve Jesus, even. You're going to come together, and people are not going to come from the same social standing as you. You've got people who are at the bottom of the rung of the ladder, and you've got people who are at the top of the rung of the ladder. This is what it means to be in Christian friendship. Not people who you find the easiest because actually you're going to have to work harder to get to know these people because you don't share the same in common. You work in different places. You have different gifts. You are different. And that's the beauty. That's the beauty. We're not all the same. We don't all work in the BBC. We don't all work in social justice. We don't all have children. We don't all have grandchildren. We don't all come from the same part of Salford. We don't all earn the same. We don't all think the same. We've got very different church backgrounds, many of us. Can this be the place where Christian friends develop because of our difference, not in spite of our difference? Can you see the person ahead of you and go, do you know what? They are so different from me. I would benefit so much if I got to know them. Could you be richer because they're not like you? Because of course, 
the more you just look for people who are like you, the narrower your world becomes. Um, I'm not going to get, this isn't meant to be at all soft or sentimental. But what it does mean is this. Whatever you feel about yourself, you are needed here. Sometimes what people say in church, and they say it in churches of all sizes, you know, whether you're 30 people or 3,000 people, is there's no one there just like me. And there isn't. No one just like you. But the fact that you're there becomes a gift to the church. We've got extroverts. We could point to them. We don't need to. You wait. We've got a whole bunch of introverts. You're the ones looking down at the carpet right now. This is not just a word for extroverts. This is a word for all of us. We need the introverts. We've got folks here who don't know what they're thinking until they start speaking. <laughs> and we've got folks here who need a week to think about it and then get back to us. We need each other. We don't need, it's not just for the extroverts to work harder. It's actually for all of us to go, do you know what? I have a place here and I'm needed. One of the things that happens as you get, as you get larger as a church is it's really easy for, for any of us to think, if I weren't there, I wouldn't be missed. But do you know what? The truth is, you are in the same way as you feel when you notice other people who aren't here. And you go, I wonder, are they okay? You're needed, you're wanted, you have a part to play, you're not the same, you come from a different background, as they did in the early church. This is the beauty of the kingdom of God. It just needs working out. But it needs also a united aim. C.S. Lewis, who said brilliant things about most things, said he was trying to distinguish between uh, lovers and friends. And he said this, lovers are always talking to one another about their love. Friends hardly ever talk about their friendship. Lovers are normally face to face, absorbed in each other. Friends side by side are absorbed in some common interest. In other words, being a Christian friend to one another isn't about navel gazing. It isn't about a saint with you, oh, what a wonderful friend you are. It's not about, you know, all of that. It's actually just getting on with it. What's the united aim? It's not about us. <laughs> We've got a, a kind of a little bit of a running joke as we were preparing for this service, you know. In the, some of you are old enough, have been a Christians long enough to remember there was a period in the 1970s where the, the Christian renewal was happening in the church and uh, we thought it would be brilliant uh, if we could sing more songs like Bind Us Together, Bind Us Together with chords that cannot be broken, which is a fantastic song, all right? Brilliant, it's like an old Lang Syne for Christians. Brilliant. That's great. And then we, we made another move forward. We, we said... Um, I love you with the love of the Lord. 
and then we were asked to look at each other while we sang it, which was like just torture. It was like, you know, we, I, I, I could never do it. I, I kind of just found a spot on the wall above the person, you know, and kind of looked at that. Um, until we got to this sort of idea where we're just going to swap clothes. Um, <laughs> friends, Christian friendship is not about looking at one another and going, I really love you in the love of the Lord, Cameron. No, I really do. Because <laughs> let's be honest, that's just weird. <laughs> it's being grateful, but it's having a united aim. The picture was chosen because I think, I think it's an image, for those of you that kind of work on the image base, I think it's an image of what Christian friendship looks like. It's about people who are going somewhere, determined, they know where they're going, but they're roped together. Because actually, I need to be roped with other people, so I get where I'm going to go. Not least, because part of me would want to give up. It's why things that are tough are much easier when you've got other people doing it with you. Not least the Christian life. It's why we want to say to people, don't give up on church, because actually we need to be roped together. Because it's easy to give up. It's just easy to give up. It's why people who are losing weight or want to lose weight join a slimming group. You pay five pounds to get weighed. And, and after three weeks, you think, I'm not staying for the class. I'm just going to get weighed. It's five pounds to get weighed. You could do that in your bathroom for nothing. <laughs> but you know why you go. Because it's difficult to keep going on your own. It's why people who run, I, when I run, I, I run easy with somebody else. Because left on my own, I'm thinking, I'll just I'll go home now. I've had enough. <laughs> Maggie will never ask me, how far did you actually go? And if she does, I'll lie. It's, it's easy when I'm doing it with others. It's like this Christian life is easy when I'm roped together with you. So three things. It's a challenge to open the possibility. We need to go beyond being friendly strangers. It's a determination to know one another. It's a determination to say, actually, I'm going to play my part. And I mentioned about the introverts earlier. If you are an introvert, you may well pay a greater price for this. That's the truth. Part of the thing you will sacrifice is this, is this is not the easiest thing in the world. That's the price you'll pay because actually you know you want someone else to keep walking as a Christian. Beyond friendly strangers says, I'll allow you to know me. One of the biggest challenges for churches all over the country, not just ours, all over the country, is how do you move from being a friendly church to a church of friends? And to do that, we have to know one another. It's why things like The Weekend Away help. One of the best things about The Weekend Away, not the sessions that we do together, not the worship, Probably the water slide, but the second best thing about the weekend away <laughs> is the 
the leisurely time we can take to talk. And you go, wow, I never knew that about you. Introverts will pay the most for that, but the benefits are for all of us. Just while I'm finishing the sermon, which is encouraging, can you just pass that on that way? And, can you, and if you need to, can you take a pen? If you don't need a pen, then don't. But if you can take a piece of paper, and if you need a pen, take that. Move beyond friendly strangers. Secondly, rope yourselves together and keep going. The interesting thing about friendship is this, and the interesting thing about relationships in church is this. The more you know people, the more you find out exactly what they are, and what you find is they are exactly like you. At times they're irritating. At times they are funny. At times they are surprising. At times they're odd. At times they're helpful. And at times they're selfish. And it's really easy to pick up on the disappointing aspects of one another. In that list that we read um, of the people that were around Paul, two names stood out in some ways, and you might know why. One of the names was Mark. When Mark was younger and Paul was younger, Paul and Barnabas took on this young man called Mark as part of their little mission team. And um, after not very long, Mark said, I'm out of here, I want to go back home. I don't want to do this anymore. And Paul and Barnabas had been friends. And Barnabas wanted to take Mark back again. And Paul said, no, he's unstable and reliable. He's let us down. We're not going to have him back. And Paul and Barnabas fell out to such an extent that they couldn't work together. They had to do stuff separately. So it's interesting that in this letter, where Paul is older, and so is Mark, obviously, Mark turns up on the list. Because Mark has let Paul down in the past, but now he's back. Paul, you were wrong. Barnabas was right. It's easy to write one another off. Paul, you were wrong. Barnabas was right. And the other person on that list is Demas, a name that you probably won't know as well. But when Paul is writing later, he says Demas has left the faith. In other words, there's no guarantee either. How are you going to deal with one another's disappointments? Keep going, even when it's difficult. Keep going over the long haul. Persevere. And then finally, keep walking together. The chapter we read together began with Paul saying, will you pray for us? And it ends with Paul saying about Epaphras, he wrestled in prayer with, uh, for you. And Paul isn't just sort of saying prayers. One of the things you can do, he's kind of like highlighting is that the major thing you can do for one another is pray for one another. Don't pray about one another, but pray for one another. The difference is when I pray about people, I'm normally complaining to God. God, you won't believe what they've done now. When I pray for, I'm praying blessing. I'm praying that they'll be used. I'm praying that they'll keep going. Pray for them. Share life together. In verse 8 and 9, um, when Paul is writing 
He writes about this idea of sending people so that you might know about our circumstances and he may encourage your heart. They will tell you everything that's happening. Share life together, eat together, spend time together, and finally encourage one another. Encourage one another. This is what it means to be a church of friends. It means we're roped together, committed to one another, in the covenant together. Going that these people who are not like me, I will commit to. These people who are like me, with all my paradoxes, all the best bits of me and all the worst bits of me, I'm going to commit to them. I am going to know them. Two pieces of paper you've received. One is really simple. And it simply says thank you. I want you to think of someone who's in the room. And by the end of the service, I want you to give them the thank you. You might want to explain why. You might not. That's okay. But who's been that friend for you? Who's been the one that's kept you going? Who's been the one that hasn't let you drift? Who's been the one that you know has prayed for you? Who's been the one that's encouraged you? Who's been the one that shared their life with you? Who stepped out towards you? Who's that person in the room? You might actually be sitting with them. Or they might be on the other side of the room. But before you go home, give them that paper. Grant you, it's much more difficult if you're visiting us. And uh, to you, we'll understand if that person's not in this room. The second piece of paper is an opportunity for you to jot your name down and a contact detail. And we've done this before, this sort of stuff. But when we come for communion, we're going to have a basket where you can put that in. And then you'll take another one out. And this is the commitment that you'll pray for them. Now, the difficulty is, for some of us, we won't know who they are. <laughs> it's like, I've got this person, I have no idea. So don't go home before you know who they are. This is not like praying in the sort of like, you know, you need to know who they are. But if you will, jot your, jot your name, jot your contact detail, for some of you, that'll be a text number or a phone number. For some of you, it'll be a landline number. For some of you, it'll be an address. For some of you, it'll be, I don't know, pigeon post. But just jot down something where people can get hold of you. Because what I'm going to ask of you is that not only will you pray for them, but that you'll tell them midweek, I am praying for you. We didn't think you'd want to get involved. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Where, where's he gone? Where, where, where have they all gone? Oh, they're, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming. Brilliant. Who else hasn't got them? Is it just this, this line? Just you four? For a few more. Five, all right. It's this, it's, this, it's this row. Okay. Does that make sense? Make sense? You know what you're doing? Okay. So you should, you should have two, thank you, and a contact detail. So if you haven't done, jot out your contact detail.
and then we'll use it in a moment. Brilliant.